Amen. It's good to come to the house of the Lord, is it not? To worship him, whether we're doing that in this place, which is uh, considered a version of his house, or you're doing it in your own house, which can also be his house if you give it to him. Uh, Coming into his house is coming into his presence. And we're going to talk more about that as we continue our series in the Psalms this morning called Amazed. My name is Kurt and I am one of the pastors here. I want to add my welcome to you this morning, uh, both here on campus and for you joining us online. Would you pray with me again and ask God to bless this time of looking into his word? Holy God, we do thank you that you are a God who speaks. You do not remain silent, but you speak through your spirit. You speak through your prophets. You speak through your word. You speak through the very creation that you have made. And we invite you, God, to speak to us this morning. Speak into our hearts that which you would want us to hear and to understand and to know so that we may respond in gratitude. Go from this place today, renewed and refreshed, to live life in this broken and hurting world as your light, as your hands, as your feet, as we represent the King of glory in all that we say and all we do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We are uh, continuing our summer series called The Maze, where uh, as we go through some favorite psalms, uh, we're encouraging you to be uh, reflecting on, praying through, using the psalms as kind of a guide to worship and to connection with God. The psalms are often raw and real. Uh, they are written by people who living, are living a real life, who are worshiping a real God, and they don't pull any punches in coming to God with what their challenges are, what their difficulties are, what their struggles are. And so for us this morning, we are invited again to enter into that kind of a relationship with a real God who is very concerned with what's going on in your life today. The Psalms give us a better understanding of who God is in relationship to the brokenness and the challenges in our lives, but it also gives us a mirror for our own souls so that we can understand where our places of deep need and brokenness can also find healing and wholeness in our relationship with Jesus. In the process, the Psalms are a guide to help us in our relationship with God and lead us into a better relationship with one another. Today we're going to be in Psalm 27, and before we jump in and we'll go through different portions of the the psalm, we won't read through the whole thing verse by verse, but I want to highlight some portions of it for us. I want to jump to the end and then come back to the beginning. And Psalm 27 ends in the same way that our kids video for today invited us to wait. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And so the very conclusion of this psalm that we're going to get to in a few minutes uh, encourages us to do something that creates an immediate tension in us, I would like to suggest. There's a tension here and in many of the psalms because if if we're honest this morning, we don't like to wait. We don't want to wait. And often in our affluent uh, postmodern Western culture, we don't have to wait, right? We have the resources, we have the ability, we have the freedoms to do whatever we want. And if we don't get it fast enough, then we'll just find another way. We don't like to wait. 
And it's especially a problem, I think, that we're going to see this morning when we feel like we're being treated unfairly or when someone is attacking us or we feel like someone has wronged us. We especially don't like to wait then. We want to respond immediately. We want to jump right in. We want to make our case. We want to share and argue our perspective. We want to tell them why they're wrong. We want to put them in their place. Amen? No amens for that one? I mean, even if we don't put these tendencies into action in a real-life conversation with somebody, come on, let's be honest, we do this all the time in our own inner monologue, don't we? Isn't it exactly what we do day in and day out with our spouse, with our kids, with the person that cuts us off on the freeway? We are quick to react internally and, and, and we want to argue our case. We want to, we want to argue against them and, and, and we don't check or wait to see what is God wanting us to understand in this moment. What God, might God have for us to learn in this experience? How might God want to use us to be light in the darkness of this world? In some cases, we'll go to friends and we might not uh, uh, speak it directly to the person who we're offended by, but, but we're happy to talk about it with those who are going to, you know, kind of pat us on the back and affirm us and say, oh, yeah, that's so terrible and awful and no good. And so we, we argue our case and we want people to affirm us and tell us why we're right, but we're, we're not really willing to put ourselves under the light of the gospel and to ask God, is this the right way to think and is this the right way to respond and how can I be a part of the solution rather than being a part of the problem? But at the end of Psalm 27, King David suggests that there's another way to deal with the challenges and the injustices and the conflicts in our lives. He says, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Be courageous. But wait for the Lord. You see, at its core, scholars tell us that Psalm 27 is a psalm of confidence, but it's also a plea for divine presence and deliverance in the midst of attack. You see, in the face of suffering and attack in life, we're encouraged to continue to put our trust in God and not in our own wisdom and not in our own strength and not in our own tendencies to react to life, but to be able to learn how to respond with wisdom and grace, and in trust. That's why if we go back to the very beginning of the psalm, picking it up in verse 1, David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see, confidence in our own spiritual walk with the Lord comes because of what we know to be true already. Even though his circumstances and his emotions may seek to tell him otherwise, he starts by reminding himself and reminding us today what the rock-solid foundation of reality in this life is really all about and why it's so important to remember. 
the Lord or Yahweh is the light of my life. He is the salvation of my life. He is the stronghold of my life. These are, are, are terms that give insight into his understanding of the role that the Lord plays in his daily experience of life in this world. Like the good shepherd in Psalm 23, which most of us are familiar with as well, right? The Lord guides, the Lord rescues, the Lord protects. The Lord is the illuminating light that overcomes the shadow of death, which causes us to fear. He is the light that marks out the paths of righteousness that guide us through those places of healing and wholeness and contentment in our lives. He is the life-saving stronghold that delivers his people from the attacks of the enemy. Now, if you think about this idea of a, of a stronghold, it's not a, 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 as a familiar term for us in our modern day, right? But a, a stronghold is a defensive place or a structure that has been fortified to protect against attacks from the enemy. I know that I've heard, I haven't seen them yet, but even up here in the Northwest, we have fortified bunkers left over from World War II, right? To, to prepare for attacks from the enemy. A stronghold is a fortified bunker. It's a safe place. It's a place that you run to when you're in fear for your life. It might be a fortress or a castle or a tower or a keep or a garrison. But in the ancient times, especially when they didn't have a lot of those fancy structures built, it might be a high cliff or a mountaintop that was inaccessible to the enemy where you could go and be safe because it was so hard to reach. You see, because he knows that in the Lord, there's a stronghold. There's a safe place that he can go. There is protection from life in this world. He says, I know this is true, and therefore, who should I be afraid of? Whom shall I? See, it's not only that he's unafraid, but he's able to stay confident and to stay hopeful even when he experiences life falling apart around him. Using military and warfare imagery, he talks about how in the midst of these attacks, knowledge of the Lord's presence and his protection is what enables him to stay confident and hopeful when all the evidence around him suggests that he should think otherwise. In verse 2, he says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, or, or more literally, it says to devour my flesh. That's kind of gruesome, right? It is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Think about the poetic imagery that he's using here. I mean, his enemies are depicted almost in nightmarish fashion as ravening, ravaging beasts who are, who are advancing to attack and they, and they want to actually devour him. Or in a military encampment that, that has been, been besieged around the city. And so there's no escape and there's nothing that you can do. And not only are they going to try and just wait you out, but they, then all warfare breaks out. And, and I don't know if you've seen many war movies or maybe you've been in battle yourself or you know somebody who has. But it's a pretty common knowledge that war is hell. 
And so the imagery that David is using here is he wants us to understand that, that life can feel nightmarish at times. You can feel like, uh, like a kid who, who's going to bed and is afraid. Were you ever afraid of the dark as a kid? I was. I used to have to sleep until I was 11 or 12 years old with, with a light on because I was afraid of the dark. And what's going on there? Why are we afraid of the dark? Because, because our imaginations get the better of us and we begin to imagine that, that the boogeyman is in the closet or that there's a monster under the bed and we're, we're afraid for our life and we can imagine that he's going to want to come out and devour us. So let's keep the light on. <laughs> Somehow the light, you know, is going to keep him at bay. But isn't that truth that the Bible says too is that it's the light that dispels the darkness. You understand that that light and darkness are not co-equal opposing forces. Darkness doesn't exist. Only light exists. And so when you turn off the light, the darkness can't help but flee because it's nothing. And so having a light in our bedroom at night dispels the darkness. Having a light in our life helps to dispel our own fears and imaginations as we look at the nightmarish scenarios that we see going on in the world or that we feel happening in our own lives when we return to the fact that we have a God who is the light of my life. Then our fears are alleviated. In our childlike fears and in the power of our imaginations, the risks and the dangers that surround us in our lives can, can grow to seem like the boogeyman waiting in the closet or the monster hiding under the bed, just waiting to sneak out and devour us. Our imaginations and our fears can begin to take on a life of their own and begin to erode our confidence and to cause us to become afraid. But, David says... The enemy attack will not succeed. They're going to stumble and fall. My heart will not fear even when these things happen in my life. And what is his solution? What does he focus on as his answer to overcome his fears? In verse 4 he says, One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above all the enemies who surround me. His sacred tent At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. One thing. I mean, if you could could narrow your life down to one thing, down to one priority, if you you were able to say, hey, when life gets hard and it's all confusing and I need to kind of do a reset, and you could come back and say, what's the one thing that is going to make the biggest difference, that's going to put everything else in perspective, that's going to help me reorient and reprioritize my life? What's the one thing that you would choose? One thing. I ask one thing I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life so that I may be able to gaze 
upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now, what's going on here? I mean, this is, again, poetic language, right? And we get this imagery of a, of a king in his court and in the temple and coming before the king to gaze on the glory of the, the royal majesty of the monarch. Right? see, his sole focus here is to seek the Lord and to dwell in his presence every day. This idea of asking and seeking isn't like playing hide and seek with God. He's not talking about some some unfocused search for God. I'm going on a quest to search for God. That's not what's happening here. Instead, what what he's saying is that this is a sign of a commitment that he is going to go and seek an audience with the king. He is going to go and beseech uh, the court of God to open the doors that he may come into the king and humbly Ask his requests of the king. You understand how this works in ancient times, right? Are you familiar with the story of Esther? How King Xerxes was was enamored with Esther, right? And, And he was so taken with her that when she finally wins an audience to be able to come before the king, he says, I I grant you anything that you would wish, even to half my kingdom. And so the, the, the idea of coming before the king is both risky and threatening, but it also has potential great reward, right? To seek an audience with the king was a big deal, but to be granted an audience with the king was an even bigger deal. For a king to grant a boon is kind of what they called it, right? Uh, what would you ask of your king? What can I do for you? Here, David says, hey, if I ever get the chance, if, I, uh, if my audience is, is permitted, if I can come before the king, I know what my boon is going to be. His one thing that he's asking, his one thing that he is requesting to his monarch, his king, the glorious God to whom he's devoting his life. God, I just want to live in your house. All the days of my life. Now, it's not the house that's important, right? It's the one who lives in the house. He's saying, God, I just want to come and live with you. I just want to move in together. I want to share our lives. I want to build a life together. I I want us to experience that daily intimacy that allows me to know that you're with me. And and, and if I can have that kind of experience, a relationship with you, God, I don't have to worry about all this other stuff. Because you could be the light of my life. You could be the stronghold that will protect me because I'll know because I'm in relationship with you and, and you're speaking your truth to me and you're guiding me in my paths and I know what the, the way of righteousness is that I don't have to worry about all this stuff. I don't even have to try and defend myself because I know you got my back. God, I just want to come live with you. What's the stronghold? that you're seeking to live in, in your life today? Is the stronghold that you think is going to protect you, is the stronghold that you think is going to keep you safe actually working for you? Because what David tells us is that God has invited us to understand that his role in our life is to be the stronghold, to be that high place on a rock that lifts us out of the darkness of the valley of the shadow of death and allows us to live with faith and confidence and hope. 
To live in the house of the Lord is desire to, isn't a desire to move into a plush mansion with all the amenities. Hey, we get to live in the king's mansion. <laughs> There's not going to be any more trouble. We're going to live off the fat of the land. No, to, it's a desire to live in the protective, loving presence of a relationship with God himself. In his house, in his tent, in his dwelling, in his temple, there is safety and protection from enemies because of the one who lives there. Now we can jump forward, and we've said almost every week, right, that the Psalms always point us forward to Jesus. And you remember the words of Jesus, his disciples, when he talks about God offering the gift of his presence through the Holy Spirit. In Luke eleven nine, 9, he says, I say to you, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Do we understand that the context of Jesus' understanding in Hebrew culture was much less of this kind of idea of playing hide and seek with God, but understanding that the King of glory has invited us to come into audience in his presence because he wants to give us a boon. And it's the gift of himself. It's the gift of his life. It's the gift of the invitation to live every day in relationship with one another. Yet here in the context that Jesus is talking about it, he's not even talking about it anymore in the terms of this kind of distant, high, majestic king. He's talking about it in the context of a loving father. If you read that passage, he goes, if you who, who are, are evil people and broken people know how to good give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you what you need? Give you the gift of his presence. In the day of trouble, David says, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. He will set me high upon a rock. He is the safe place in times of trouble. And this kind of security and protection, David says, leads to the natural conclusion of praise and worship. And isn't that what we're invited to do here every Sunday morning as we come into the house of God, into the presence of God, recognizing not only is he that glorious king who is high and lifted up, but he has become a loving father who sacrificed his son Jesus to bring us into this kind of relationship with him so that we come and we receive the protection and the, the care of our souls so we don't have to worry and we don't have to be afraid no matter what life throws at us. And that is what makes us as Christians want to sing. Amazing grace. I lay down my life. What else can I do in response to this gift that you have given me? Who should I be afraid of knowing the God that has rescued me, given me his light, and offered to live in his house every day? Because of 
his confidence in this truth, because of his confidence in this reality of life in this world. He goes on in verses 7 through 12 then to, to say a prayer to God to grant him this boon that he requests. We're not going to read all the verses, but essentially he says, God, hear me when I call. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn away. Don't reject me. Don't forsake me. Though my own father and mother may forsake me, Lord, I know you will receive me. You see, despite his confidence in who he knows God to be, when life gets hard and it feels like he's continually under attack on multiple fronts, he recognizes it can still feel like God is absent. It can still feel like God is hidden. It can feel like, we, like God has abandoned us. But he's wanting us to know by sharing this with us that you're not alone when you feel that way. In fact, if you go and you study some of the spiritual uh, uh, masters of the Christian life throughout the centuries, they've identified that the further you progress in your relationship with God, everyone at some point reaches a point where they experience what has come to be known as the dark night of the soul. And it's this moment when, when nothing uh, that you've done that you can know has separated you from God, and, and yet somehow God seems absent. You, you go to God's word and it just feels dry. I just, I just not getting, God isn't speaking to me through his word. You come to church on Sunday morning and you, you sing the songs and you experience worship, but you just don't feel like God is present or you're, you're not sure where God is. You, you, you try and, and be a good person and you do the things that you, you know are right to do, but, but you just don't feel like there's any real point or value to your life. You're not sure that, that, that you have a purpose or that God is using you in any specific way. And so you begin to feel this darkness that, that God isn't there and that God is, abs, is absent. And yet what David is telling us is that that's natural and that's normal because what God is wanting us to do is to turn our hearts to our trusting in him, not because of the benefits that he gives us, but because of our confidence in who he is. If you know that you know that you know that this God of Scripture, that the God of Jesus Christ is who he said he is, and you have said yes to Jesus, and you have built your life on the solid rock, then God wants you to know it doesn't matter what life feels like in the moment. You can bank on the fact that he is a stronghold that you can rely on. And then if you're willing to just wait for him, to stay strong, be courageous, because life is hard. He will not disappoint you. He will show up in the right time, in the right way, at the right moment. The truth of who God is that you have banked your life on will become real to you in a way that, that takes you out of the darkness, that sets you on a new path, and allows you to sing again, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. For David, in spite of the continued experiences of divine absence, he's confident that it's not a sign of God's abandonment, but it's an opportunity for David to reaffirm his trust and his hope in who he knows God to be. 
He's not relying on his own strengths or his own wisdom or his own emotions to tell him what's real. He's trusting in who God has revealed himself to be. That's why in verse 11, he can say, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. Now, it's true that at various times, we will experience real-life enemies in this world. And so this psalm is a very ready psalm when we find ourselves in difficult and conflicted circumstances with other people and and systems in our world. But we also, I think this morning, need to recognize that we have uh, spiritual enemies that can be also false witnesses in our lives. Just like physical enemies that can falsely accuse us, sometimes our own thoughts and our own emotions and our own perspectives can function like false witnesses telling us to give up on this false hope that you have in this God that you can't even see. What what are you thinking about this idea of grace and forgiveness? God doesn't really like you. You're just a you know, a messed up person that God can't use. Why don't you just give up on this whole faith thing and, and, and go about life just like everybody else does? You know, the pain that you're going through today and the suffering that you're experiencing and the brokenness in your relationships aren't ever going to change. Just accept it. Just live with it. In fact, why don't you just start looking out for number one because nobody else is going to. You might as well do unto others before they do unto you. And we can begin to see as we compare the the teachings of the Lord and the way of righteousness revealed in the Bible to the way of the world with people who have given up on faith and given up on hope and given up on the way of God. And we can see over and over again how it leads to a selfish, immature, adolescent kind of lifestyle that that lives itself out for me and mine and and what I want only. And can I suggest that if you watch your news, if you watch your movies, if you watch your TV shows, we are seeing this in our culture lived out day in and day out. And we are being conditioned to follow the way of the world rather than to understand that our stronghold is in God alone. Teach me your way, Lord. I remain confident of this, he says in verse 13. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I don't have to wait for the next life. I know that that if I wait for the Lord, he's going to come through. He's going to show up. I can trust that he's with me and he's got my back. So wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. See, in this waiting, there's this sense of ongoing tension, but also anxious expectation. It's kind of like a, a sitting on the edge of your seat, right? And we, we have this, this kind of phrase in our culture where we get at this idea of the kind of waiting that he's talking about, right? It, it's like this anticipatory excitement that something's about to happen. And somebody says, hey, you got to come, come watch this. Ready? It's, it's about to happen. Are you ready? Are you ready? Wait for it. It's about, wait for it. Right? Okay, here it's going to come. It's, it's, wait for it. 
you understand that God wants to amaze you with who he is? God wants to be the stronghold of your life in a way that maybe you haven't even experienced before or couldn't even imagine before today. Do you understand that God promises that that if you ask, it will be given? If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open. He's, He's waiting for you. And if you simply come and are willing to, in humility and honest seeking, wait for God, just wait for it, he's going to show up and you're going to be amazed at the ways that he wants to bless you, make himself real to you, and give you the hope and confidence that you can, can build your life on. Now, it might not be this plush, glorious mansion. We might not have the the mega church here at Faith Covenant with all the bells and whistles and the the fancy online church that is going to have everybody go, wow, you know, that's amazing. But it's not about the stuff. It's not about the building. It's not about the house. It's about who lives in the house. And the invitation to enter into a daily life together. Be strong. Take heart. Now, we're out of time for today, but we could do a whole other message on these two words. Be strong, take heart, are the very two words that God spoke to Joshua and the people of Israel as they were about to enter into the promised land. Right? He had rescued them from slavery. He had guided them through wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. He had brought them to the brink of what he had promised them, the promised land. And he goes, okay, are you ready? Wait for it. You're going to have to be strong. And you're going to have to be courageous. Because when I open the doors, it's going to be a battle. There are going to be fights that you have to fight. There are going to be challenges that you're going to have to face. There are going to be people and enemies who want to bring you down. So when when you say yes to Jesus, when you open your door to come and live in the house of God, it doesn't mean that life gets easy and that it's all roses and, and candy canes. Life is a battle. But we're fighting with the king. And what better place to be? What better stronghold could we have than to live our lives in the presence of the king? Where's the stronghold of your life today? Where do you run to for safety? Where do you go to to, to calm your fears? Where do you, where do you look to, to to try and find peace and happiness and rest? Can I suggest to each one of us this morning that God is simply waiting for you to, to, to run to him? Once again, wait for the Lord. Be strong and courageous because there's a battle ahead. You got to fight for this relationship. Wait for the Lord because he will show up. Let's pray. Holy God, we do thank you that you have made a way for us to enter into your house, not only to worship you with uh, a sense of religious worship, but but to enter into a life together, to to move in together and to, to live and share life every day. 
God, help us to understand that this invitation to uh, make you the stronghold of our lives is an invitation to find peace and rest, even in the midst of the chaos and the suffering that we continue to experience in this world. God, give us the courage to let go of our own wisdom and our own strength, the the need to react and respond so quickly, but to to pause long enough to, to turn our attention to wait for you and in strength and with courage to trust that you will teach us your ways, that you will lead us on paths of righteousness, that you will allow us to experience the reason for why you created us in the first place was to experience the love and the joy of relationship with you. And God, we will bring sacrifices of praise. We will sing joy in the sanctuary and we will tell the world of the mighty name of Jesus who gave his life so that we might have life and have it to the full. It's in his name that we pray.